Hey, what's up, what's up guys? Hey, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> Tony. I don't know. <laughs> Bobby. All right, all right. All right. The, cr- the cringe fest immediately, you know. It it, it wouldn't be a uh, episode of sad of music if we didn't start it cringy. <laughs> but uh, how you doing, dude? Good, dude. Um, I'm just gonna come out right out and say this that. This is our second attempt at recording this because we lost mm-hmm. an entire file. Yeah, it's it bad. We're just bas- I'm going to apologize that, that a lot of this won't be first reactions because this is the second attempt and we lost a file and yeah, it was it was devastating. I think I we were when we our first attempt we were at, literally at my number 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I realized uh Rob, I think we might have lost this. Yeah, uh, it was it was rough. But that being said, guys, this is our top ten favorite bands. We were talking about this on our main podcast. We're really excited to do it. Um, well, bands and artists, I should say. And um, do you want to explain kind of the format of how we like what we're going to talk about before we get started? Sure. So as Rob said, we're gonna um, do our top ten favorite bands, artists, list, whatever you want to call this. Um, how it's basically going to go, guys, is Rob will say his number 10, then I will say my number 10. When we're introducing each artist, um, say when Rob gives his number 10 first, he's going to give us a very brief, you know, background on the band, why he enjoys the band. Um, and then are you doing your five favorite songs or are you doing like what I'm doing? Five songs you would recommend. There, I will I will point it out per artist. Um, I have a little bit of a mix of both because there's um, a couple of artists here where I don't necessarily have the hits, quote-unquote, per se. Um, I just kind of have what I feel are their best songs. And that I... Like, I, I know you did this with one of your artists where you put um, songs that you really felt were great songs but just aren't heard enough as some of your top... So mine's kind of a mix of the two, long story Okay, short. okay. Yeah. So, so either way... I'll point it out. Okay. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. more or less going to do the same. But either way, each of us will give five songs, uh, and then we'll give three mm-hmm. albums as well. And then yes. I will say my number 10, et cetera, et cetera. And then just before both of us get to our number ones, we're going to reveal five honorable mentions as well. Because if you're, yep. you're like me, this was a difficult thing to do. Um, I was just saying to Rob off mic that my top five have kind of been consistent for a long time now, but anything beyond that can always interchange. So this is my top ten as of today, um, <laughs> but that could change literally by the time by the time we're done recording. So that's going to basically oh absolutely <laughs> right yeah. So that's going to basically be the infrastructure um, of today's episode decided to take a little break from bowie uh that series Mm -hmm. is still continuing of course um do you just want to give background as to the technical side of this episode and when that's going to be released and whatnot before we get started yes thank you i almost forgot that so um i might have mentioned this on one of the bowie episodes but if this is you know the first thing that you're hearing or um if you're watching this on youtube there are going to be two different versions of this there's going to be the straight up podcast version which will be available first and it'll be available on all the streaming platforms that we are now on so it's going to be available on anchor and spotify and breaker and all those lovely podcast formats but there is also going to be a kind of edited down version of this 
which I will be posting on YouTube. It's probably going to be a little while before that happens because I'm going to make it kind of a more fun video where it's going to have, you know, clips of the band and um, maybe like video of the band and uh, just, you know, a little flair to the video. Um, for the, you know, I do all, all kinds of videos like that for, you know, on my other channel where there's a lot of heavy editing involved. So I've been wanting to do something like that for a while on this channel. So you guys who watch us on YouTube will actually have some really, you know, some pretty cool video, I think, to watch. And then if you prefer just the podcast format, you know, that'll, that part of it will be available too. So, but I highly honestly recommend checking the YouTube, um, the YouTube video out because I'm, I plan to dump a lot of time and effort into it. Which I'm really excited to see what. Um, Rob ends up doing. We've talked about it, of course, how he wants to approach the uh, the YouTube variation of this episode, but um, still, I'm very much looking forward to how that turns out. Um, just two quick things before we get started, guys, because we're going to get right into it today. Um, one, at the time of this recording, of course, um, we still have this crazy coronavirus um, pandemic going on, so I just want to say mm-hmm. again, I hope everyone is, you know, everyone is safe. Everyone is practicing mm-hmm. good hygiene, uh, social distancing, all that jazz. Um, but, you know, just just be safe, guys. You know, that's that's really all I have to say about that. Um, and then the only other thing is I just want to throw out a, um, and correct me if I don't say the name right, uh, rest in peace to the great Bill Riflin, um, who uh, yes. was a fantastic uh, drummer, uh, a session drummer. He was R.E.M.'s touring drummer after the um, great Bill Barry had quit the band. Uh, he played for Ministry. He played for Nine Inch Nails. And just recently, uh, King Crimson. So, um, you know, phenomenal player, phenomenal musician. So, again, rest in peace to him and positive thoughts mm-hmm. to his family as well. Yeah, that, I think that, I don't know, I think I could speak for both of us here. That that pro- that actually hit me a little harder than I think it would have, you know, I mean, given we did the entire King Crimson series and I did get a chance to see him live. So that was kind of like, that was just sad. We lost another great drummer in 2020. Like, honestly, what the hell? Yeah, I think it kind of, <laughs> seriously, I think it kind of gave me the feels too for the, the yeah. same exact reason. Um, as you said, um, King Crimson uh, rejuvenated love for King Crimson after doing that podcast series and um, um, R.E.M. as well too. He played a pretty big role in the latter oh, of course. part of their yeah. career and R.E.M. is a... Uh, you know, means a lot to me as well. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely, that, this one definitely hit me for sure. Uh, all right, nice. Uh, I'm glad you said something about about him. That was, uh, yeah, that was definitely something that today I hit me hit me a little hard, so. Sure. Um, but that being said, guys, sorry for the crappy drum roll. Um, <laughs> this is the official Sound of Muzak Top 10 Andy and Rob's favorite bands, artists list, whatever you want to call it. Because we thought, since we've talked primarily about Bowie and King Crimson, it'd be nice to maybe talk about some other artists and kind of give our thoughts. And we've never really talked about our... Like, we've maybe mentioned, like, I have I think I've mentioned my favorite band before, and we've talked about things like that. But we've never given, like, a definitive, you know, top ten or whatever list of our favorite bands so this should be interesting man it should and i think for the listeners it will give you some um you know um hindsight into some of the other types of music that we like that go 
beyond King Crimson and David Bowie, because up to this point, yep. those are really the two artists that we've really, you know, really deeply discussed on um, on this podcast. So mm-hmm. why don't we kick off with your number 10, dude? All right. My number 10 is a little band that you might have heard of called The Who. Uh, the Who? Who, of course. <laughs> I hate Who that joke so you? much. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, no, The Who. I mean, come on, man. This is one of those all-time classic bands. Um, even if you don't necessarily know who The Who are or you're not even really, you know, say a big fan of it, everybody's heard songs like Who Are, uh, who are You and, um, you know, if you watch CSI, you've <laughs> heard Won't Get Fooled Again and, uh, you know, songs like Pinball Wizard. They're, they're just one of those real iconic classic rock bands um they're also one of those bands where i feel that every member of the band was very was vitally important to the sound um especially you know all four of them are are really important but i mean you have that legendary rhythm section of john entwistle and keith moon who sadly are no longer with us and you know roger daltrey's iconic voice pete townsend's um iconic guitar sound and um, his lyrics and songwriting, and even his voice at times. Um, and, uh, yeah, they've, I don't know, man, they've always just been a, a band that I've really loved, and they're a band that, unlike some bands, you know, I'm sure you feel this way with uh, a lot of artists that you maybe had discovered way back in the day when you first were getting into music. Um, you know, they tend to wax and wane. There's bands that I loved back in the day that I don't love as much anymore, and then there's bands that, I love more that maybe I didn't wasn't even really a fan of, but the Who has been one of those bands that has always been a constant for me, and they're just a band that I've liked more and more as the years go on. Um, yeah, actually, same with them specifically, and I, I, you know, we could do a whole podcast on you know bands that fall into that category, specifically yeah. classic rock bands. But the Who has been one of the few that have always been my love for them has been consistent. I think it's the songwriting. Uh, Pete Townsend really is one of the great songwriters of um, of that era, I think. And they just they wrote great great rock tunes. Uh, and I don't know, they never their stuff just still stands the test of time. And they, of course, I I think I had mentioned this when we had tried to record this before. This is where I kind of had a hard time with this band was the albums actually, because I always considered them more of a sing- singles band than an album uh, band because they had so many so many great songs that were never on records and were always released as singles so um that being said though they still had like some very iconic albums for me um i'm gonna give two different lists that are similar and it's gonna be my personal three albums that i love and uh three albums that i would recommend so the three albums that i would recommend are tommy who's next and the Who Live at Leeds, which uh, the last one being, I think, one of the greatest live albums of all time. For sure. That that just fell short on my list, just fell short, and that's just because I love the quirkiness of the Who sellout, which is on my list. So, And uh, I'm a big fan of the early Who, um, definitely. Like, uh, So I would have to say like I wanted an album that represented that period of the band. So, yeah, I mean... You know, some might say maybe picking, like, Who's Next and stuff are cliche, but I still think that a lot of those songs hold up really well, and there's a lot of great tracks that from both albums that, quite frankly, aren't played at all on the radio. Uh, and even the ones that are played on the radio, I still love. Um, 
And as for my songs, I have sort of a hybrid of the whole, um, sort of a hybrid of the whole theme that we're going with, with recommended songs versus favorites. So I picked uh, I Can See for Miles off of the Who Sellout. We're not going to take it off of Tommy, which is the epic closing track. Uh, and I w- always remember that scene of the movie, too, mm-hmm. um, which I think kind of is part of the reason I love that track. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Baba O'Reilly. I almost didn't put this in because it's so played. It's played so often, and it's, it's, it's considered one of their seminal songs. But I don't know. This song still to this day gets me going. Uh, that, that riff... Um, that uh, that violin at the end, uh, I just I just love that track. I, I don't know what it is about it. Same with Behind Blue Eyes. That's also on my list, but it's still one of the most beautiful songs. And um, although Quadrophenia isn't on my list, I had to put Love Rain Over Me on there. Of course. It's, again, one of the most beautiful and epic songs they've ever written. So there's a multitude of songs that I could put on here, um, but I felt like those would be five really good songs that still hold up that I don't think have been quite as overplayed and um that people who are just getting into the who could really enjoy so awesome that's a great list i um i have to point out that um the who sells out's my favorite who record as well um, awesome <laughs> as great as you know tommy quadrophenia um as great as those records are um i i, I gravitate towards uh the 60s who as well too they had some yeah. great singles um so good the kids are all right um yep. i can see from it's hard miles. not to put boris the spider on here <laughs> boris the spider is great. i love that song <laughs> um, i also love you pointed out john entwistle and keith moon specifically because mm-hmm. they were a band who were a band that all four band members um were just so detrimental to what made that band so great and i do think mm-hmm. those two maybe john entwistle more than keith moon do get overshadowed by Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend, and a lot of that's yeah. due to the fact that they're still alive and the other two are not. But that's a band that all four band members are were just crucial to. It's what made them and they so all had, great. Yeah, and they all had they were one of those bands like to give an example like the Beatles, where every every band member kind of had their own personality. Um, and yeah, it just, I don't know. They just brought a lot to the table and they still, their music still holds the test of time. And I had to put them on my top 10. I was, I was a little bit, I wasn't sure whether to include them or not, but they've been such a staple for so long that it was hard. I, I couldn't leave them off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the I mean, they, I would, for me personally, they would probably be my top 20. Um, but mm-hmm. I will say one of my all time favorite concerts was I got the pleasure of seeing the who, Oh God, maybe like four years ago. And they nice. were just incredible live. Um, it was amazing to me as to how great Roger Daltrey sounded. So good that I remember at that show, even Pete Townsend got on mic and said, doesn't Roger sound fucking great tonight or what? <laughs> and for Pete Townsend to give him a compliment, that says something right there. It's yeah, no one kidding. of my f- top five favorite shows was seeing The Who live. That's awesome. I wish I could have seen them, but I guess it's not too late. We'll see. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, uh, good start so far. So, that's your number 10. Um, mm-hmm. My number 10 is a band called Big Star. Big Star is a band I got into about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And um, they're, they're interesting in the sense that they sound like a 90s band or even like an aughts band but they're actually mm-hmm. a 70s band. Um, one of like the OG indie groups for sure. Um, I got into them 
um, through bands like R.E.M. and the Pixies um, that cited Big Star as an influence. So, you know, my love for those bands made me check out Big Star. And they're just a group that I've fallen in love with. Um, they only had three records um, at the prime of their career. I think even probably prime isn't the proper word to use to describe these guys. Um, but they're just so good. Um, you'll see what stands out with my top ten uh, as far as the artists on my list is I'm really I'm a sucker when it comes to great melodies and vocal harmonies specifically. And boy, do these guys have that. Um, if you're familiar with uh, that 70s show, um, the theme song to that song is actually a big star song um, called In the Street. Um, it's Cheap Trick that's actually singing the song. I do believe Big Star's version was played the first season. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, that's a Big Star song. Um, you know, if you're just into really great, you know, songwriting, really into like just great catchy hooks, um, Big Star is worth your time checking out for sure. Um, the front man of Big Star, Alex Chilton, he had a group in the 60s called the Box Tops, and they actually had a minor hit called The Letter uh, that was a pretty popular song in the late 60s. It's been covered by um, so many different artists, but... Um, Joe Cocker, I think? Uh, Joe Cocker is one of them. Joe Cocker's covered it, and Tom Waits covered it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's Alex Chilton's original group before he formed Big Star in the 70s. And, that's interesting. That's a classic song. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so that that's Alex Chilton. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, you know, Big Star kind of broke up in the mid seventies. They never really went anywhere. Unfortunately, they were just a group that were ahead of their time, um, in terms of sound and songwriting. Um, Alex Chilton resurrected Big Star in the two thousands and they did put out a couple Big Star records that I haven't checked out. Um, but unfortunately he did pass away a few years ago and he was just kind of like one of those cult dudes that, you know, didn't really give a shit about fame. He did his thing and... Mm-hmm. And that was that. Um, so they're just a band I've fallen in love with. I would highly, highly recommend them. Um, the five songs I picked was, uh, the first track is called The Ballad of El Goodo. Um, this is the song that kind of captures Big sa- uh, big Sound, Big Star Sound. Um, so that's why I had to put that song on there. It's on their debut record. Uh, the second song I picked was a track called 13. Beautiful acoustic track that's also off their... Uh, first record my third track I picked is off their second record it's called Oh My Soul Um, this is just a cool rocker Um, great riff Um, the band just rips on this one so you kind of get some uh, rock side on that track Uh, my fourth track is a song called Holocaust which is off their third record which is my favorite Big Star album Um, as the name would suggest the song is about the Holocaust it's just a really dark but beautiful track and then my fifth song i kind of cheated a little bit i did pick um one of the members in big star chris bell um the best way to describe chris bell and alex chilton's relationship in terms of the first big star record would be lennon and mccartney Mm -hmm. and um so i did pick one of chris bell's solo songs called i am the cosmos and the reason why i picked that is because not only is it a fantastic song but it, it deserves to be put up against big stars best songs um it's epic it's beautiful um yeah i just think it's a fantastic track so i cheated there and i added that 
Um, in terms of records, I'm just going to go ahead and recommend the first three records. Again, I haven't listened to any of their other stuff. Um, my favorite is third, which is, of course, their third record. Um, number two would be number one record, which is their first record. That would be the one I would recommend starting out with. That's my second favorite. And then their sophomore album, which is also fantastic, would be my number three uh, called Radio City. Awesome. Um, it It's weird with bands like that, huh? When you, uh, Where they have maybe like three or four records that are just really great and then they really have no, like nothing else. And then it's like you... <laughs> I can I can think of a few bands like that that I really love and it's like I always want to put them higher on lists like this but then it's like ah they've only got like three records versus somebody and I'll just use him as an example because we're doing um, his discography but like somebody like Bowie who's got like how how many records tons and tons of I don't know how many studio albums he's got but it's always interesting you know when you have a band like that but um, that's awesome that's a band I'm gonna have to check out for sure. Um, okay. So, or did, were you, did you have anything else to say about them? Or can no, I I'm good. Nine? I'm good. Okay. I'm going to move on to nine. So my number nine is another little band you might've heard of. And, um, for those who don't know this about me, I am quite a bit of a metal fan. Um, and while I don't like all metal, I still appreciate quite a few bands. And this is the band that basically start of the genre and that's black sabbath and i'm going to specifically say that the tony it's martin the era, Oz- right? it's the it how'd you know it's the tony <laughs> martin era <laughs> no specifically the classic uh ozzy sabbath era um i got to, i was very very lucky that i got to see them on their the end tour uh in 2016 so that would have been my like 28th birthday it was, I, I literally got to go see them in concert on my birthday that was a really really cool show and while bill ward wasn't there which i um think was a you know <laughs> big uh big fail on their part uh i was still very pleased i mean you still had geezer and ozzy and tony mm-hmm. and uh particularly unfortunately with ozzy's health these days i feel very fortunate that i was able to see them so um i think going to see them and just um all that time leading up to seeing them really it had me listening to a lot of ozzy era sabbath and um, while I've always appreciated Ozzy Era Sabbath, I think I truly like fell in love with Ozzy Era Sabbath um, around that time. And I mean, anybody who's a fan of Sabbath, at the very least, the the string of albums from the first record to at least Sabotage, and I would even go so far as to say Technical Ecstasy should be in there. Uh, that it's just really great stuff, a, a, a treasure trove of good material, in my opinion. Um, and again, they were a band that essentially created a genre on accident. Um, and it's simply because I, a lot of people know the the famous story about of Tony Iommi losing, you know, the tips of a couple of his fingers, which caused him to change the sound on his guitar and gave him that heavy kind of. Um, how I don't know how you want to describe it, but that heavy metal guitar sound, and you know, coupled with Ozzy's vocals and Geezer's dark lyrics, um, you had what was essentially the birth of an entire genre, heavy metal. And uh, to this day, I don't think Black Sabbath or anybody band did it better than Black Sabbath. And um, as far as albums go, um, I'm going to I guess I'll give three 
I guess I'll give separate ones because, quite frankly, the three Sabbath albums that are my favorites are not the three that I would recommend for first-time listeners. The three that I would recommend for first-time listeners would actually be, I think, the first three albums, which would be the debut, the self-titled debut, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, which is probably their most famous album and has their most hits on it, and Master of Reality, which uh, is also a really, really... Uh, great album. The first um, three, they have it. Masters of Reality yeah, for, great. Those, that's what I would recommend for first-time listeners. For me, I only will take one of those and put them in my uh, favorite albums, and I'll, that's Master of Reality. The other two uh, is the Fantastic Sabotage and my personal favorite, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Uh, I personally like kind of the proggy tones in Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and um, I think Ozzy's vocals from like volume four to Technical Ecstasy-ish are some of his best vocals of his entire career. He really, I don't yeah, know what I he was doing. That. I don't know what he was doing, but it was fantastic. Um, and yeah, as far as my songs go, I'm just going to give, honestly, um, my personal picks for this one because these are just songs that I've grown to really love. I p- did pick one song from Paranoid, and that's the song Planet Caravan, which is... Um, you know, Sabbath, some of my favorite Sabbath tracks, especially from this period, are those weird ones that don't really fit in, the kind of psychedelic, kind of um, ballady, softer side of Sabbath, which is kind of few and far between, but is always a nice little break in the album when when you do get the song. And uh, in Paranoid, it's it's Planet Caravan. It's got this kind of psychedelic-y sounding, spacey theme. And uh, some of Ozzy's, like, coolest vocals, I don't know what... I don't know what if there's an effect on his voice or what, but uh, I really love that song. Uh, Children of the Grave off of Master of Reality is still one of the best songs. One of my favorite songs uh, that they play live. I've got two tracks from Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and it was hard. I didn't. I wanted to put the self-titled track on there, but I instead chose Sabra Cadabra featuring the great Rick Wakeman uh, guesting on keyboards. Nice. And the the last song, Spiral Architect, which has this cool proggy feel to it. I really love that tune. And um, the last track I would pick is Sabotage, uh, off, is off of Sabotage, and it's Symptom of the Universe, which is, ugh. That's, that track is simultaneously, like, one of their heaviest, like, most, like, just epic songs. And then it the way it ends with that, like, acoustic riffing, ugh, so good. Just so, so good. So... Yeah, those are those are the songs that I I my, are my personal favorites, um, and then I would just recommend kind of anything off the first three albums. Uh, I I was tempted to put the song Black Sabbath on there. I was tempted to put a song like um, Fairies Wear Boots on there. Uh, some stuff off of Volume Four. I, I I shouldn't I should mention I didn't have anything on Volume Volume Four, but it, there's tons of great songs on there. And yeah, I just really recommend this era of Sabbath. It's um, it's really heavy metal at its best, I would say. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, the Ozzy era, I mean, it just goes beyond heavy metal to me. They're just mm-hmm. one of the greatest bands. They just, their impact on music as a whole is just so, you know, so detrimental. Um, those first several Ozzy albums are, they, they just, they hold up. They're, they're, they're great. I mean, like you said, like it they really, do, yeah. nothing else, really nothing else compares. I mean, I used to, you know, I used to be a big metal guy back in the day. Mm-hmm. And while I don't really listen to a whole lot of heavy metal, um, Black Sabbath is one of the bands I still listen to because they're just, they're great. 
Yeah, it's it's almost unfair to call them uh, solely heavy metal because I can I hear I mean with the with uh, especially Bill Ward's drumming I I hear some jazzy influences and there's no question they start out as a blues band. Um, they still have that blues sort of root to their sound, tinged with kind of at times psychedelia, at times um, some slight jazziness, um, and that hard rock or early metal sound. It's they have such a unique sound that you can't. You really can't compare it to anybody. A lot of bands have the often imitated, never um, duplicated Black Sabbath. You know? How can you? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, all right, cool. Um, you good for Sabbath? Good with Sabbath. Good Give with Sabbath. Number nine. number nine, Black Sabbath. All right, so my number nine is a little group. You may have heard of them, uh, the Talking Heads. Woo! <laughs> um, I love the Talking Heads. <laughs> I, I, yeah, they're they're amazing, and they they were a band that I didn't really appreciate till later. Um, I just got done saying that I was a big metal guy. Um, definitely was not into the Talking Heads during my metal phase, <laughs> but um, they've become one of my favorite bands now. And I mentioned when you know I was talking about Big Star that you're going to see a lot of um, a lot of correlation with my picks um, with vocals um specifically melody and harmony and all that stuff uh, and while the talking heads do have that um what i love about them are just some of their other quirks um they're experimental but in a really accessible way um they were just so important in the early um early stages of punk rock um, this was a time where we kind of really needed punk rock music. The 70s were kind of getting a little ridiculous with uh, some of the music that was going on at the time, which is probably a weird thing to say now, since my feelings are, with as far as music goes, um, we're at an all-time low, but I don't want to go into a rant <laughs> as far as that goes. Getting but, um, an all-time low. <laughs> Sorry, but, I, I but thought, this was okay. really like an important time for change as well, and Talking Heads were definitely uh, part of that. Um, they, they were influenced by Berlin era Bowie, which was kind of going around, going on at the same time as, um, Talking Heads, uh, a little bit of Brian Eno influenced, who worked heavily with Talking Heads, um, but also really incorporated some more underground influence. Um, there's influence of, um, the great fella Kuti, who was this, you know, crazy jazz guy, um, you know, Afrobeat. There is some Krautrock influence as well. It just goes on and on. And for that time period, incorporating all those uh, different sounds and styles was just such a unique thing. And again, but keeping it accessible. Their mm-hmm. first four or five records are just all classic records, in my opinion. And I, I mean... The, the, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 could, I could go on about you know, just the talking heads alone. Um, but I digress there. Um, you know, again, um, my top five songs are more just kind of starter kits, you know, starter tracks to check out. Some of these would probably be in my top personal favorite, but I really wanted to try, um, with this band specifically, really try to capture, you know, um, their discography the best I could. Um, so number one, of course, you got to have Psycho Killer. Um, this would be the one probably everyone knows already, but it's such a fantastic song. It's off their debut record, um, Talking Head 77. Um, there's a great acoustic version. I think it is a 
bonus track off that record as well that's also very good. Um, my second pick is a song called The Big Country, which is off their second record. Uh, then my number three is a song called Life During Wartime, which is off of Fear of Music. Ugh, great track. Song. Great, Ugh. great song. Um, my number four is Once in a Lifetime, which is off of Remain in Light. And Another my number classic. five, which is actually probably also one of their more popular songs, is uh, This Must Be the Place, Naive Melody. Another classic song that I'm sure yes. many of you have heard already. Um, as far as records go, um, I would go with Remain in Light, which is their fourth album. I think that would be the one to start off with. Uh, followed by Fear of Music, which is their third album. And then my number three would be their second record, More Songs About Buildings and Food. Very nice. Um, wow. I, I feel like there's a bunch I want to say about this, but we'll to, in an attempt to keep this uh, somewhat more concise. <laughs> I know, uh, I'm trying. <laughs> I, wanted, I just wanted to say a couple points real quick. Go for First it. of all, uh, you mentioned about how you know they blended all those influences together. Um and uh, really, you know, I think it was really telling when uh, it was actually Rush who said this, which, I mean, Rush is always hailed as one of the most technically proficient bands. And I think it was like Geddy Lee once said something about how, you know, anybody that thinks the Talking Heads is a, is a band that produces simple music is really not, like, listening to. <laughs> I'm butchering Absolutely. his quote. But, like, they, they, they have a subtle complexity to them, which is... Uh, fantastic uh and and the like you said the blends of the Af african rhythms and you know some some of the early stuff had punk uh you could tell there was blends of like what you were saying um some of the kraut rock influences things of that nature some of the players they've had with them um we mentioned uh when we originally recorded this adrian blue played them played with them for a while mm -hmm. who's of course from uh, a little band that we we uh we, we may have covered on this channel extent extensively um but yeah, I, I, I've always loved the Talking Heads. Honorable mention to the live albums, um, both my personal favorite, Stop Making Sense, which is also a film, and uh, the name of this band is The Talking, the Talking Heads. Heads yep. Yeah, both fantastic live records, two of the best live records of all time. And I would I would recommend both of those after the three studio albums I mentioned. Uh, I also feel like they're the Talking Heads, studio Talking Heads and live Talking Heads are almost two different bands. For sure. There's a... Uh, they they have such an energy to them live and such a kind of a different sound to them. It's it's they're they're fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And again, a band I didn't appreciate till uh, you know a little more recently, but um, one of my favorites nonetheless. Awesome. All right, but your number eight. My number eight is a uh, a fella that we all might know a little bit on this sh <laughs> uh, from this podcast. In fact, we're in the midst of discussing him, and that's uh. The man himself, Mr. David Bowie. Um, Only at number eight. Already. Well, already he's moved up. Um, what? Hey, we're not even halfway through his discography. You got to give me a break here. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we, we, we barely put a dent in. But anyways. So I've uh, for the sake of um, honestly, I don't want to get super into Bowie to to be quite honest, because we are covering him so extensively on the podcast. So I'm going to keep this very, very brief. And just say that, you know, he's always been one of my favorite artists. Uh, he, he was one of the first artists that got me into music. Um, I'm only going to cover up until, as of the recording of this, we've only recorded up to Diamond Dogs, which is kind of like, you know, from 
Uh, Space Oddity to Diamond Dogs is the period of Bowie I'm most familiar with. Um, so it's actually kind of appropriate for me. And uh, I'm going to also say off just, you know, right here that this will most likely change drastically as we get further and further into our series. But uh, of the albums that we've talked about already, the three that I picked were Diamond Dogs, Ziggy Stardust, and Hunky Dory. Very, very hard not to put Aladdin Sane on there. In fact, you know, I'm hard-pressed not to include it. You know, I, th I think Ziggy Stardust actually and Aladdin Sane are kind of battling for that, but I would definitely want Hunky Dory and Diamond Dogs in there. Um, as I mentioned in the Diamond Dogs uh, episode, episode, which should air before this, uh, that's my favorite Bowie album. Uh, so what I did was, for my songs, uh, I have pretty much... I tried to have a hybrid of my favorite songs and also really just famous songs by him that I think are essential. I think that as we go along, it, it's this is going to drastically change. But what I chose for my songs, I have I have Space Oddity, of course, probably the iconic Bowie song. Life on Mars, which is one of his most um, popular songs, but to me, honestly, is really one of his best songs. I will always love that song. Um, off of Ziggy, if I had to choose one, I had to go with Moonage Daydream. I just love that tune, especially the great McRonson. We just talked about this on the Diamond Dogs episode, my favorite album, so I had to go with my favorite song on it, which is Sweet Thing, and that's the three songs together. And then I cheated just slightly for the final song because I think this is a very, very iconic track from his career. And while we haven't discussed this era yet... I just love the song Ashes to Ashes, and I couldn't not leave it off, so <laughs> I had to put it on Why would here. that be cheating, though? Uh, because we haven't talked about that era. Oh, uh, whatever. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so I had to put it on there. Uh, there's, there, I'm still conflicted on this. Like I, like, I wanted to put something off Aladdin saying it was hard not to put like time on here, so this is just what I have for now, and... You know, I don't really want to say too much more about Bowie, to be honest, because we've been covering him extensively. I just love the man, uh, and I'm sure he's going to continue to move up our list. And, um, yeah, I look forward to doing more of the series with you and uh, seeing where what the final list will be. So stay tuned for that, guys. It's a long time coming, though. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Also, we're doing a David Bowie series? No. Uh, it, this is a, it's just an imagine. <laughs> Like, it's part of my... Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, I, I apologize for that. All right. Um, my number eight. Um, my number eight is also a solo artist, dude, person. Um, dude, person. Nice. Dude, person. Yeah, you like that? We're being goofy today. We are being goofy. Probably because this is our second uh, attempt at this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number eight would be Tom Waits. Um, God, where to begin with Tom Waits? Um, so... This man's got a large discography, um, and large discographies can be rather dangerous because the bigger your catalog, the more clunkers you're likely to have. That is um, very true. As much as I hate to say it, but even just the aforementioned David Bowie has a few clunkers. Um, I can honestly say this man really doesn't. Um, while, of course, there are records that I love more than others really for the most part um every album is pretty solid um whether it's 70s era tom waits which is kind of more um jazzy or if you're more into the 
more avant-garde um, Tom Waits. It's pretty much uh, swordfish trombones and on. Um, th- this this man's just a phenomenal musician. One of my favorite songwriters. Um, from a certain point of view, one of my favorite vocalists. I just think he has such a unique uh, voice that I really come to appreciate. Um, and I just kind of like the talking heads really appreciate the diversity in this man's music as well. While for the most part, maybe not as much as talking heads, um, accessible and maybe accessible is not the right word, especially when we move on to some of his 80s stuff. But, um, I just, it's just great, great music. Um, different, different approach to songwriting as a whole. Um, I lean more towards the 80s, um, on Tom Waits, um, Rain Dog, Swordfish Trombones, um, Mule Variations, that stuff. Uh, but don't overlook the 70s era of Tom Waits as well. Um, for some, maybe that might be where to start. So when putting together my, my five songs and my albums, I did try to compensate for both sides of Tom Waits. Um, so my top five would be, um, my first track would be a song called Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis. Um, this is the, (laughs) great title. Um, this would be the oldest Tom Waits song on my list. I think stylistically it captures most of his 70s era, um, albums, but also you you really start to kind of hear that croony vocal approach that he would utilize more on his, uh, later albums so that's a fantastic song then my number two would be a song called in the neighborhood which is off of swordfish trombones and that was kind of like the big transitional album in his career um my number three would be the song rain dogs then great, my song. great song then my number four also off of rain dogs would be the closing track anywhere i lay my head this song is basically just Tom Waits going gospel, and it just, he rips. It's so, so good. Um, and then my number five would be a song called, and potentially my favorite Tom Waits song, House Where Nobody Lives. Um, just a beautiful, dark song, uh, and that one's off of Mule Variations. Would uh, you say it's fair to say that he's one of those guys that is kind of, because um, I know he's got a huge, huge uh, fan base, and... Um, he has since become like he's quite a popular guy but he does seem like one of those guys that kind of has a cult following where he's one of those you know like I'm trying to think of a an example um, he it's, he just always seems like one of those guys that where it's sort of like you get it or you don't is, um, is that a fair statement yeah, or no, do you I think, think he is. has more accessible stuff that is, is more um Maybe accessible is not the word. I mean, I, I wouldn't really call Swordfish Trombones an accessible album, you know? No, by all I mean, means, no. Do, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, um, does no, he have I, stuff I, that I, has I, more mass I, appeal? I do, for sure. But I I think, like, he's he's dipped into um, mainstream world, if you will. I mean, he's collaborated mm-hmm. immensely with Bette Midler over the years, um, mm-hmm. both in film and in music. Um, his first record, Closing Time, was kind of a hit. I mean, the song All um, 55 is a pretty well-known song covered by yeah, the, the Eagles did it. fucking Eagles, unfortunately. 
Um, I love the Eagles, but I we won't go the there. <laughs> that would be that would be a fun podcast, by the way. <laughs> I just—it's like I've had a bad day, and I hate the fucking Eagles, man. <laughs> Shout out to the Big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> but no, I think going back to um your point, guys, I think that's a fair assessment to make. Um, definitely cult following. Um, I mean, my if, experience. Oh, go ahead. If go the ahead, if the Tom Waits Facebook page is anything to go by, fan page that I'm on. Um, absolutely. He absolutely has a cult following. I had a, I had, I knew a guy who was a humongous Tom Waits fan and he was always, he was always trying to get me into Tom Waits. My, funny enough, you know, <laughs> it's funny with him because, um, you know, we've talked about that, or you were talking about how Swordfish Trombones and Rain Dogs especially are probably two of his more eclectic albums. Uh, that was my, that's really been my only, <laughs> only, uh, experience with Tom Waits. Because uh, weirdly enough, I mean, I'm uh, I'm quite a big fan of Captain Beefheart, and I actually first heard of, well, not heard of Tom Waits, but I w- first sort of explored Tom Waits's um, albums through Swordfish Trombones because I heard of the like tremendous influence that Beefheart had on him during that period. So that was attractive to me because I was really into Beefheart for quite a while. His uh, and, his uh, wife introduced him to Captain Beefheart. Fun very fact, interesting who was, yeah who was really who really became like a um his co-collaborator pretty much from um heart attack and vine on and he's got he's got even a similar voice to beefheart he's definitely got his own voice uh beefheart has also got his own voice um but yeah that style uh, actually i mean i don't know why i haven't really dipped my toes super like i really uh, again aside from those two albums i really haven't dip my toes too much into his discography but i might have to change that soon um it sounds like he's got he had a very he had a quite a varied career for sure um yeah absolutely and, and i think he's a guy that even if it's a specific era i i, I do think anyone can appreciate him i mean i could mm-hmm. i can definitely understand not being into records like rain dogs and swordfish trombones but i i think um you know, there are people that could appreciate Closing Time, The Heart of Saturday, um, some of his... I, I hate using the word accessible because I've used it quite a bit already. Um, but compared to those other records, a little more accessible. Um, right. So, and, and, I, and I tried to um, account for that with my top three albums that I've picked. So, I do have mm-hmm. his first record, Closing Time. Um, in addition to Old 55 being on there, you've got some of his more well-known songs, Martha... Um, Rainbirds is on there. Um, it's a great, great album. One of my favorite debut albums. Then I did go ahead and include Rain Dogs. While Swordfish Trombones is my favorite Tom Waits album, um, I felt that Rain Dogs was more was the one of the two to include as a starting record. Uh, if you like Rain Dogs, then definitely check out Swordfish Trombones immediately mm. after. Um, and then my third one, I want to pick a later album that I think is really important in his career. I name-dropped it a couple of times, but it's an album called Mule Variations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one kind of is like a... Everything up to that point so far. So there's a little bit of, um, you know... There's a little bit of 70s weights. There's a lot of 80s. Um, just kind of everything he did up to that point. Um would be mm. the best way to describe mule variations. Nice. I'm going to have to check, I think, uh, I'm going to have to re-listen to some of those albums and check out the ones you just mentioned. 
Absolutely, and fuck uh, the Eagles, by the way. Wow. All right, and with that, uh, this is over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, shall I go to my number seven? Go to your number seven. Okay, my number seven is also another more so more so, do, it. do it more so than uh, Tom uh, than what we were saying about Tom Waits being kind of a um, uh, love him or hate him kind of guy. This definitely applies way more to this man, and that's of course the great uh, Frank Zappa. Uh, Zappa was quite an anomaly. Uh, he was first of all the man was a genius, both musically and otherwise. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, broke, made some of the strangest music um, of his time. And it's kind of odd, you know, it really it is when you familiarize yourself with his music that he even got somewhat popular. <laughs> um, but uh, Zappa was another one, oddly enough, that was that I discovered early on um, and liked early on. I know for some people it's really hard to get into him, but I didn't have that experience with him. I liked him right away. And Zappa is another one, like you were saying, with Tom Waits. And funny enough, I believe they did tour together for a while in the 70s, by the way. So they were definitely familiar yes, they with did. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he was another one where he just had such a varied career and one of the largest discographies of, I think, any artist. I mean, they're still releasing stuff of his, and there's still a treasure trove of things in his vault that have not been released. So, I mean, there's going to be posthumous releases probably you know, for, <laughs> you know, the next hundred years or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, so he had various different, um, you know, eras of his career, and he dabbled in everything from jazz to doo-wop to rock and, you know, sort of metal to, uh, oh, God, what else? Classical, electronic music even a bit in the 80s. Um, he's He went all over the place, and um, he always did it his way. And despite the various different um, styles that he had, you, it was always you could always tell it was Frank. I mean, he just had his own own style and sound to him. And um, man, my albums were tough. I'm not gonna lie with him because again, his discography is immense. And what do you recommend to people who want to try to get into Zappa? So, kind of similar um, to Weights in that aspect. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so he so. I just decided to choose kind of three of my personal favorite eras of his career, and I'm going to give my personal list, and I'm going to give my recommend, recommended list for newcomers uh, separately. So my recommended list to newcomers is the very first album I would pick is Apostrophe, and I think Apostrophe because as far as Zappa goes, I wouldn't call it accessible, but it's probably the most accessible and digestible album uh, from that classic 70s period of his. Um, you know, you kind of have the silly lyrics, but it's kind of got like I think a pro, uh, any progressive rock fans would appreciate kind of the format of the album and and the songs, and it's you know it's it that's it, it's a classic Frank sound, and I think you know if you don't like it, then it's a it's it's a pretty short album too. It's like forty minutes long or something. So uh, and it's I think his most successful album commercially, if I'm not mistaken. So I'd say apostrophe. You gotta get some early mothers in there, and to me, the best place to start for a newcomer, and for me, it was um, probably the first place that I went, and that's his first album, Freak Out. The last couple tracks are not accessible at all. Uh, it's very experimental stuff, um, but he's got some of that like parody-ish, parody sort of psychedelic kind of uh, 
sound that he had with the Mothers, but it's a bit more accessible on the first album, and it's got a unique sound. Freak Out's a great album. And I would say if you want the instrumental side of Zappa, Hot Rats is a good good place to go. There's one song on it uh, called Willie the Pimp, sung by the great Captain Beefheart, who we were just talking about. Uh, But otherwise, the rest of the album is very much uh, an instrumental album. It has um, a lot of jazz. I guess I'd call it very jazzy. Um, And, you know, you can hear all kinds of different sounds in it. Um, Really, really great stuff. Uh, If you like instrumental music, if you're a fan of kind of like jazz or even classical, I think you'll appreciate it. Or if you're a fan of just instrumental prog or something, you could appreciate that album. Um, All three great albums, but honestly for me, um, if I were to pick my personal favorites, instead of Freak Out, I'd pick Absolutely Free, because I think that's probably... I don't know. There's something about that record that I really, really love. Um, It was... I really feel like Frank really, like, hit his... um, Like, that was really the... Where his... Where his sound was really born, in my opinion. Uh, He really brought in those classical and avant-garde influences in, and uh, he kind of, you know, uh, lyrically, he started really parodying a lot more and was saying a lot more... um, he, he, it's a lot of his lyrics get a little bit more political like he tended to do absolutely free is a great record i highly recommend it and then the other one for me as far as instrumental albums is uncle me i've really grown to love this album it's a great record. Uh, it really is a great record uh if you want just really great instrumental music and i honestly for the most part just recommend the first disc the second has kind of a bunch of nonsense of like there's like a skit about hamburgers or something, which is kind of stupid. Although I do think, I do think <laughs> yeah. King Kong is on the second disc. I, I don't remember the format exactly right now, but King, King Kong, Kong is, is a on musk. The second disc, yeah. Yeah, King Kong is a musk, but like the nonsense that's in it, you, you can skip through that. No, okay, but the okay. musically, it's it's one of his greatest albums. I love Uncle Meat. And then as far as the seventies period period uh, albums go, I would go with One Size Fits All. I was very lucky to uh, see Zappa play Zappa in concert a couple years ago and they played that whole album live and i've always really loved that record so uh it features one of my favorite songs on here which leads me into my five songs um which uh from that record i have inca roads which i think is one of the best songs he's ever ever done uh featuring the great george duke on there really great famous jazz um pianist does some amazing stuff on that song Uh, i have two early mother songs on there trouble every day off of freak out which uh Amazing song lyrically, love that song. I have the great Brown Shoes Don't Make It, which is still one of my favorite <laughs> favorite Zappa songs. Uh, just from a, a compositional standpoint and also just the lyrics, uh, one of the best things he's ever done. I have Peaches and Regalia off of Hot Rats, which is probably one of his most accessible instrumental songs, and I think it's one of his most beautiful songs. And... Um, as far as his like kind of goofy 70s material, I had to put Bobby Brown Goes Down, which I'm convinced should be the uh, – which should replace the American National Anthem. Um, but that's a different <laughs> – that's a different topic. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. And I want to just give an honorable mention to one album and one song, which I still really, really love. It was the first Zappa album I really loved, and that's Joe's Garage. And the song that I want to give mention to is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard, and it's Watermelon and Easter Hay. Yeah, uh, which really shows his amazing, amazing guitar talent. Uh, Z- and compositional Frank was, skills too. 
and his compositional skills. Frank was really one of the great guitar players and should be in the same conversation as all of those other great guitar players from that period that uh, people talk about. And he's just not for some reason. He's always on like a lower tier. And I always thought he had such a unique sound to him. And uh, I mean, that's always something I think that's underrated with him. Everybody talks about how genius, how big of a genius he was with politics and um, as a composer and all those things. But he really was a phenomenal guitar player. And I think that's probably his best work uh, as far as his guitar playing goes and you're absolutely right as far as composition goes as well so yeah um frank isn't for everyone i'll say that but he will always be one of my favorites absolutely um yeah zappa man um i think actually i had mentioned when we had our first attempt at this recording um that mm-hmm. i had listened uh water watermelon it what is it i'm sorry watermelon and easter hay watermelon easter hay thank you uh blanked mm-hmm. out there um I had actually just listened to that track, um, I think the day of actually. So great track. Um, I've always been a big Zappa fan myself. I've had the pleasure of seeing um, Dweezil a couple times as well. And um, great. Yeah, another massive discography, like you said, for sure. And there's so much. I mean, God, there's so many albums I didn't even mention that, you know. I could go into, but I won't. Oh, you, so. can, you, you can go on and on for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about my number seven. Um, my number seven would be Neil Young. I love you for that, by the way. I love <laughs> Neil Young. Go ahead, sorry. Um, big Neil Young fan. Um, he's a guy, once again, talking about massive discographies. Um, this man, I would say, has had his definitely his share of clunkers, but at the same time, <laughs> um, he's put out some of the most iconic albums of all time. Um, whether you're a fan of the early stuff, after the Gold Rush, Harvest, um, my Neil personally tends to be mid seventies, uh, On the Beach, Tonight's the Night, uh, Zuma, those records, Rust Never Sleeps, which is a little later. Um, but he's put out some fantastic work that I think is overlooked. Um, beyond those records, um, he put out a record in the nineties called Sleeps with Angels that I think is a fantastic album. Um, Harvest Moon, of course. Um, just, just so many. I mean, even the one he put out with Crazy Horse, ah, God, like seven years ago, Psychedelic Pill was just a phenomenal record. Um, some of his more longer tracks, for sure. But you've got Neil, the guitar player, who's one of the greatest, and while maybe not technically proficient, um, just the way he approached the guitar, it's just unlike anybody else there's a reason why people consider him as the uh godfather of grunge um he's so unique the way he plays guitar absolutely um there's neil the singer fantastic singer and then there's neil the songwriter i mean again he's you know i would put neil young up there in terms of songwriting with the greats of bob dylan um Mm -hmm. springsteen those guys just one of the greatest songwriters um neil's just the kind of guy um, and maybe, maybe not to put with the music, but he's just kind of a guy that he does what he wants. And he's always been like that, whether that's always executed well for him or not. Um, you have to admire that. And that's partially why I have my love for Neil Young, which goes beyond the music. It's just not giving a fuck attitude. He's going to do what he <laughs> wants. And that's that. Um, there's a couple guys on this list 
uh, particularly Neil and uh, and uh, Frank, who I was just talking about, who definitely had that attitude. Which Absolutely. Which is the rock and roll attitude, man. You know? Come on. Sure. It's essential. Um, <laughs> so he, Neil was really hard, for me at least, approaching my five songs and three records. Uh, because, again, I really wanted to approach this um, as like a sort of starter kit type of format. Um as opposed to my favorite albums and my favorite songs. So I, I, I did my best to, you know, consolidate that. But as far as five songs, um, my first pick I would recommend a song called Down by the River. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a good hybrid of um, the three three things I just described about Neil. Singing Neil, songwriting Neil, guitar player Neil. You kind of get that all condensed in nine minutes. Um, great chorus, great guitar solo, and it's just a, it's a phenomenal song. Um, so that's my first pick down by the river. Um, that's off of uh, Everybody Knows. This is, what is that record called? Everybody Knows. Everybody Knows. This is nowhere. nowhere. Thank you. Scattered brain, man. I keep fucking up. Um, it's okay. That's his second solo record. Um, then I would recommend a more mellower song, um, and that would be the song After the Gold Rush, which is, of course, off After the Gold Rush. It's one of his most iconic songs. It's just Neil on a piano, um, and it's just Neil at his most intimate, and that and, and that's to me. There's that's something Neil about the mix. Best. There's something about the mix of his vocals and the piano on that song that's just so beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Um, so that would be a song I would recommend. My third pick is a more deep cut, but I have to plug this song and this record in, um, in any way that I can. But it's a song called On the Beach, which is off the record On the Beach. Uh, my favorite Neil Young album, personally. Um, this one's just, it's dark, but it's, again, you get that somber Neil. Um, one of my all-time favorite guitar solos in this track and I mean you know it's not like it's not one of Neil's best guitar solos I'm not saying it's like one of the greatest guitar solos of all time but for me personally it's just one of my favorite solos it's not anything flashy but it just it 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 just it it intertwines well with the song um so Mm. I, I love that song on the beach my fourth pick um if you want to get some more representation of flashy guitar, Neil, would be a song called Cortez the Killer. Ugh. Um, this song is just a freaking monster. Um, there are various live versions of this song that also just rip hard. Um, again, this is this is you're gonna get the shredding Neil in this song. This is the song to me that stands out when I think of Godfather of Grunge, uh, Cortez the Killer. But it's just also got this really cool atmosphere to it as well that I love. Um, And that's off of uh, the Zuma record. And then my fifth pick is a song that probably most people know. Um, It's his most popular song, but it's a kick-ass song, too. And that's, of course, Keep on Rockin' in the Free World. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great song. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, Um, it's a classic, too. I mean, it's it's played a lot on the radio, but it's one I still, like, enjoy hearing a lot. Sure. Um, That's off his, um, his album Freedom, of course, too. I'm totally in your camp here with Neil Young. I really love the man. Uh, my wife, it's she's like, or he's one of her favorite artists. So 
uh, we bought we bonded a lot on Neil Young, and I can't really argue with any of your picks. <laughs> <laughs> sure, maybe he maybe he's one someday. We'll do a discography series on, but he has a massive discography. I would love to. that. That would take longer than Bowie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and then as far as three starting albums, um, I would recommend the aforementioned After the Gold Rush. Um, and then if you really like that record, then maybe uh, check out Harvest, which is the album he put out after. Um, so after the Gold Rush, again, I'm going to plug it in, um, but I think it's just important in his career. Uh, on the Beach would be my second pick, and I picked that one because that one to me really represents Dark Neil. And if you really like that record, then I would recommend uh, Tonight's the Night, which is my second favorite Neil Young album. Um, and then my third pick would be um, an album that I think really represents Neil Young at his core. Um, and also one of my favorites would be Rust Never Sleeps. Um, oh, that's a great album. And I picked that one because you literally get half a side of songs electric Neil and half a side acoustic Neil. Um, yeah, I always liked how it transitioned from a, an acoustic album to an electric album. Sure. That's really cool. Um, and while technically a live album... It's all original songs, songs that have appeared on other um, unreleased albums over the years that were intended to originally be on those albums, Um, but on an official basis, they debuted it on Rust Never Sleeps, again, Mm -hmm. while live, all original um, songs, and again, I just, I think it's a great, great representation of Neil Young, and just some of his best freaking songs are on there. Oh, yeah. Both of the um, Hey Hey My My into the I think it's into the black and then there's into the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, one's electric and one's acoustic. Of course, they're great. Pocahontas is a great song. Um, yes, so many great songs are on Rust Never Sleeps. Um, so that would be the one um, that I would also recommend. I know that, uh, and I'm a fan of. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan, and I know like critics love Bob Dylan, but I feel like Neil Young is. Like Neil, I'm way more of a Neil Young fan than I am a Bob Dylan fan. Same, and, and I love Bob Dylan, I, but I, I, I hate. Absolutely like, I, I, I know it's maybe not fair to compare them, but people they're always in the same conversation, and I feel like Neil really deserves like to be right up there with Bob Dylan. In my opinion, he's better than Bob Dylan. Um, I think he had a. I think his career was just more, more so than Bob. I think he just had more solid material. Um, sure. But yeah, anyway, that's a different conversation. So. <laughs> um, by the way, those songs, because it was bothering me that I messed up the titles. Uh, my My Hey Hey Out of the Blue, and then Hey uh, Hey uh, My My Into the Black. Hey, that's a tongue twister, that one. So. And, totally. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, yeah, so Neil Young, that's my number seven. Very nice. Um, okay, so my number six, and this is again going to be one I just keep real keep very short because... We extend, extensively covered this band, and I'm looking at our time, so I'm just going to fly through this. Uh, number six is King Crimson, which is the first band that we did a discography discussion on. Um, loved that series, by the way. I will say that that series really elevated my love for this band. Same. Um, and they may have either been on the kind of bottom tier of the top ten, my top ten artists and bands, or maybe even possibly just shy of my top ten. Uh, bands and artists but yeah i think going through their uh discography as extensively as um we did plus the added bonus of having seen king crimson live um just really makes me love this band even more and uh i'm not really gonna honestly get too much into them because uh, if you want to hear about that 
Yeah, we did an entire series <laughs> about that. So, you know, just check out our podcast if you want to see. So I'm just going to kind of reiterate here very quickly um, what my top songs are and what my top albums are. And honestly, I'm going to just go out and say that I would recommend this either way. I would recommend these albums first and these songs as my initial recommendations for King Crimson. So this is one of the rare instances where it actually works both ways. So my top albums are Red, uh, Discipline, and In the Court of the Crimson King. I recommend, even though it's probably not my favorite album, I remember I recommend, and I think you would even agree with me on this, Andy, uh, start with Court of the Crimson King. For that sure. Should be where, that should be where everybody starts. Um, and save Lizards for last. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just had to lizard, do that to get your work done. <laughs> you would, you would. Uh, okay. And my top songs are, uh, number one, probably the greatest song they've ever done. And the song gave me chills live is Starless off of Red. Mm-hmm. Um, Epitaph lyrically is my favorite song by King Crimson off of Court of the Crimson King. Uh, Mate Kudasai off of, um, uh, Discipline. Uh, I just love Adrian Ballou's vocal in that, and it's just a wonderful song. Uh, and, but really, you could do almost anything off of Discipline. It's a very, it's probably their most accessible album and one of their quirkiest. Um, and then this one is, I'm going to give my, this is a personal favorite for me. It is not accessible by any means. So for you average fan, I'll put the song in the Court of the Crimson King here. But for me, I'm putting Lizard, the entire song. I don't care. I love that track. I don't care. I love all... I think it's like a 20-minute song or something. I love it, and I'm I'm going to stick by it. But it's not it's it's not for everybody. I will be the first to admit Spoiler that. Spoiler alert, there are about a solid seven minutes of greatness in that song. <laughs> and then you could just hey, do without admit, the rest. Hey, you could admit it, though. You really love that part of the song. I, for sure. Um... Uh, and then one more red nightmare off of red is my last track. Great, awesome song. track. Like just just an awesome track. Uh, tremendous. And that's all I really have to say about King Crimson. So instead of rambling on about him, I'm just gonna say, uh, rest in peace, Bill uh, Riflin. Uh, is that how you say his name? I believe so. Riflin. Yeah. Riflin. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Bill Riflin. It was an honor seeing you live, and that this uh, that's a, this little tribute to you. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so that brings me to my number six, um, which would be the Velvet Underground. Um, the Velvet Underground has kind of always been one of my favorite bands. Um, this band, it just, this band just has a special place in my heart in general. Um, you know, despite what your feelings might be on Lou Reed and, you know, like I can understand why people would feel the way they do about Lou Reed. Um, but his music has just meant so much to me immensely. Um, the songwriting is especially, and I mean, the best of that is, of course, the four Velvet Underground records that he did. Um, they were just a band that were ahead of their time before punk rock. Um, they, they, these guys really were the OG of that. Um, what's interesting is the their debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico, I believe came out um, the same day as Sgt. Pepper's. And wow. listeners know, you know, my love for the Beatles. Um, but in many ways, the Velvet Underground and their debut album specifically was very much anti-Sgt. Pepper. Um, and I, and I, and this, you're, this is coming from a guy that loves both those records immensely. Um, but they were just, to me, they were that, they were that first band that was like, you know what? 
as great as they are, you listen to their music and you're kind of like, I can do this too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. the, the 60s tends to really be my favorite era of music. There were a lot of bands, a lot of artists that were just truly talented and one of a kind. And what made the Velvet Underground special, while also truly talented and one of a kind, their music is really just at its core four chords and just doing what you can with those four chords and adding some bizarre wacky instrumentation and, and but what made them special is that like anyone anyone could do this whether good or bad is a difference you know different thing mm-hmm. but anyone could do this um a classic quote which maybe has become a cliche quote in some ways um from brian Eno is that the Velvet Underground and Nico sold, may have only sold 10,000 records, but those 10,000 people that bought those records formed a band. (laughs) And, I mean, I think of some of my favorite artists, the aforementioned Big Star, David Bowie, Roxy Music, Talking Heads, Brian Eno Solo, on and on and on and on, R.E.M., Hixies, Nirvana all influenced by the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. I can't stress enough their significance um, in music as a whole. Um, super, super important. And I'm glad that they eventually got recognition when they did in the 80s when bands like R.E.M. were becoming big and citing the Velvet Underground as an influence. Um, They only had, well, technically five, but we... VU fans like to forget about the fifth record because there's not a single original member on there, but their first four albums are just some of the greatest albums of all time, in my opinion. Um, so I, I I can go on about the the VU, and they're a band I've thought <laughs> about doing my own solo um, podcast series on. Um, so hey, maybe stay tuned for that. Um, but as far <laughs> as five songs... Um, I went with the opening track off of their debut album, Sunday Morning. It's just a beautiful song. It's short. It's two and a half minutes, but really kind of starts the record off in a way where you're like, what am I getting myself into? But it's just (laughs) such a beautiful track at the same time. Uh, My second, I have three songs. I'm going to try to narrow it down to one. Um, and And I mentioned these three tracks because these were the three tracks that Nico, um, sang lead vocals on um they're of course femme fatale all tomorrow's parties and all be your mirror all three of them are great tracks and i will say um nico's voice is a little you know takes time to warm up too um but these are all three classic vu songs if i had to pick probably femme fatale would be my favorite of the three but the other two are great too um then i went with white light white heat uh, the opening track off their second album, titled White Light, White Heat. Just very punky, fast, fun song. Um, and then to transition to the sort of opposite side of things, my number four would be a song called Pale Blue Eyes, which is just stripped down. Lou Reed at his most vulnerable. It's a beautiful track and one of my favorite songs of all time. And then my number five, which is a pretty well-known song. It's off their fourth record, Loaded. Lou played it a lot, you know, in the beginning um, of his solo career, a song called Rock and Roll, which is just, a, as the title would suggest, a great rock and roll piece. 
I have heard that song definitely. I think I've heard his solo uh, version of that. Okay, um, rock yeah. and roll and Sweet Jane would probably be their two most well-known songs. With Sweet Sweet mm-hmm. Jane, he played a lot um, early in his solo career. Moth the Hoople's covered it. Um, also, a yeah. very well-known song. Um, three records I would recommend honestly would be their first three. Also, coincidentally, my three favorite by them as well. But again, their fourth album, Loaded, is great as well. Um, so the Velvet Underground and Nico. White Light, White Heat, and then the self-titled Velvet Underground album, which is my favorite VU uh, album and one of my favorite albums of all time. As I've said, as I said to you when we originally tried to record this, uh, this along with another band that you're going to talk about um, are two bands that I'm very interested in looking looking into more of their stuff. So I think I'm going to definitely have to give some of this a spin. For Please sure. do, especially coming off of, yeah. um, you know, or not coming off of because we got a ways to go, but especially while recording Bowie. Um very important in Bowie's career story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, so that's my number six. Uh, 